All right, folks, welcome to the Crack House Podcast. My name is Michael Sullivan. Uh, joining me today, he was with me last week. He's back again, my buddy Chris Muscolino. Chris, what's up, buddy? What's up, Big Mike? What's up, everybody? Crowd chat. What's up, man? No, nothing. Uh, let's just get right into it, man. Fucking AOC. AOC. Some, <laughs> some skullduggery, some shenanigans going on. I don't know. You know, I, I hate to pile on her, you know. Um, I just for the life of me, I just can't figure out how people like some of the stuff that she does and says just seems like it's either not addressed by the media or just people just, you know, poo-poo it because of her ethnicity and stuff. But it's I can tell you this much, if it was anybody else, <laughs> some of the stuff, I mean, you know, goes without saying, but uh pretty interesting. But I mean, here's my take on it. She waited a whole month to come out with a story. And then what she did was, listen, I'm going to preface this right now. I am not saying she was. I'm not saying anything about her sexual assault. If that happened to her, which I'm sure it did. If she's coming out saying it happened to her, then I hope she, she goes to the authorities. They take care of it. If she needs counseling, whatever. But it seems like the story with the Capitol, what she's doing is she's taking the assault story and then wrapping the Capitol story around it right. so that anyone comes after her. She can now cover herself in that blanket of, oh, you're coming after me with this story. Then you don't believe my assault either. And no reporter is in this day and age is going to risk their career over getting slammed by uh, going after her story. And then uh, being proved as like uh, some sexual assault denier or insensitive to women in, in, in the uh, in the uh, world we live in now, you know. So my take on it is this. Look, I mean, there are some things I actually from an economic standpoint, I actually agree with her. Um, my issue with this is, you know, look, I would never deny her sexual assault story. I don't know the facts of it. I don't know what happened. It seems like it happened a long time ago. You know, I have more of an issue of, you know, number one, the, the politicization of everything that she does and says. Number two, in terms of, uh, you know, the Capitol riot, which we really didn't get into the last time. You know, it just seems like if you have a differing point of view in terms of what happened that day. You know, look, my my point of view from that event is that you don't have the right to harm anybody. You don't have the right to break stuff. You definitely have don't the right to do what you know, the people that actually broke right. into the building did just like the people over the summer, they had a right to do what they did in the event that you're not harming anybody. You're not breaking stuff. You know, that's your right to free speech. She's a whole different animal here. So, you know, as far as the assault story, look again, I won't get into that. You know, that's not my issue with her. My issue is that she said she was fearful of, of her life and what she had said, at least what I read was that, you know, she was basically, saying, look, she was cowering to her desk. She felt that they were going to break in at any minute. Then it turned around that somebody called her out on it, showed a picture of the, the actual Capitol layout. And the building that she was in was like miles away from where the people that were, you know, quote. Yeah, so, yeah. From what, yeah. From what you, you know, hear in the news. Like, so look, I mean, whether she wrapped it around, you know, in terms of the sexual assault or not, that's not my issue. My issue is why are you, why are you making stuff up? I mean, you know, she countered by saying, hey, look, you know, they were assaulting multiple buildings on, on the Capitol. And I get that. But, you know, there are multiple people, you know, on the opposite end of the political spectrum that are countering what she says and are really, you know, throwing a little bit of, you know, um, I guess, shade on, you know, her 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 depiction of what happened. And, um, you know, look, I mean, you can have your everybody's going to have their views of what happened there. You know, some people are going to think it's insurrection. Some people are going to think it's the worst way of the world. There's another train of thought that, hey, look, those people were exercising their rights on, you know, uh, something that they objected to in terms of the democratic process. She's a whole other element in the sense that, you know, again, nobody's saying what happened there, you know, was bad, I guess, on some level. But I mean, you know, it's like selling fire in a crowded theater. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, making things up in terms of the threat to her actual safety, you know, and I think that's really more the issue of it. And, and you know, she's said things throughout the years that 
maybe not along exactly on these lines, but you know, questionable in terms of, you know, the validity of them, the accuracy of them. And it just seems like when people on the other end of the spectrum, no matter who they are, you know, whether it's the ex-president, um, a congressperson on the other end who, you know, is, quote, spouting right wing conspiracy theories, it seems those people get called out a lot more than she does. And some some of the others, I guess, part of the squad memberships. Yeah, she kind of uh, she does say that sometimes she has a bad optic where she wants to be, you know, there for the common man. Yet she's wearing like a three thousand dollar suit or she's selling her $80 hoodies that say tax the rich. I don't yeah. know any poor person that can afford an $80 hoodie. You know, as far as the capital thing went, when you see that map, it's almost like, uh, you know, to compare it to say something like a 9-11, where ground zero was, she was up on like 23rd Street. You know, she was right. not that close. And that's a great analogy, Mike, because, you know, I mean, look, my brother, my brother was on, you know, down near 9-11 when that happened. You know, he was in a building across the street, actually, from my sister as well. You know, but for them to claim, hey, look, I was part of those attacks, that's not accurate. You yeah. know, my brother was taking a plumbing examination in a building across the street from the Trade Center. My sister was downtown. You know, for them to claim, hey, look, you know what? I, I was part of those attacks. No, you weren't. You were in the vicinity. You were in the vicinity of the attacks. But, yeah. you know, you, you know, you weren't in the buildings. You weren't in those planes. I'm not diminishing their their experience. Just the same as her. You know, maybe she was frightened. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't tell you what exactly happened but you know the issue i have isn't so much with you know the sexual assault story or her even wearing suits i don't care really what she wears or what she does and that's her prerogative my sense is just be accurate man you know uh you know in the sense of you know quote unifying people you know just be accurate you know and, and that goes for the other side too look i i probably lean a little bit more right politically but you know, whether it's an AOC or it's a person down in Georgia, the woman, you know, I guess, you know, who's part of Quanon and whatever the hell you want to call it, who's, you know, spouting crazy shit. Hey, listen, that's her prerogative. But the issue I have is like they're turning around and taking these people on the right side off these committees in, in, in Congress and they're trying to strip them of their their positions. Meanwhile, you have some questionable stuff, including this, that if what that reporter is saying is true, you know, they should be subject to the same sort of scrutiny that the people on the other side are. And that's, I think, at least that's my issue with it. Nothing more, nothing less. No, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, and I will say this in defense of her. She was just in the Bronx like a couple of weeks ago, marching for uh, more money for workers down in uh, the fruit market over there. And uh, was it Hunts Point? So she does, you know, as, as much as, you know, you lean left, you lean right. She was out there trying to help her constituents. Uh, and I think it, I think that goes so much, Mike, with everybody, you know, most politicians, you know, depending on which way you lean, yeah. you know, you're going to like certain people and dislike them. You're going to find fault with some of their policies and their thought processes. You know, I think the extreme ends of the po the policy, uh, the parties, you know, I think people will probably obviously have a little bit more, you know, of an issue with mm -hmm. them. She just seems to be like for every good thing that she does, you know, I, I think like some of the people on the right side, there tend to be equal amounts of stuff that people find objectionable. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I like some of the stuff that she says about the working class person. Um, I don't I dislike, you know, what happened with Amazon, which wasn't entirely her fault. Yeah. But, you know, end of the day, she made a lot of comments and she politicized that, which cost. Well, that yeah, she was the face of killing that. Right. Of killing that plan. Yeah. You're looking at 30,000 jobs and, you know, real estate values and everything else yeah. that was went by the wayside because of not necessarily her, but she was part of it. And, um, you know, listen, I personally, I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I just, I don't like hypocrisy one way or the other. And I definitely yeah. don't like how it just seems like one end of the political spectrum gets a pass when it comes to, you know, I guess, uh, statements that could be questioned. <clears throat> God bless uh, you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and just speaking of that, I mean, just look at New York. You know, look at our home state, our home city in, in, in general. You have you have a governor right now that, you know, allegedly they're saying could possibly be responsible for the deaths of 13,000 people with these nursing homes. Yeah. And the press is kind of very mum on it. You know, I mean, I don't think Chris Cuomo is going to be doing any stories on it on CNN. Oh, definitely I, don't, not. I, I don't think it's going to be Don Lemon's top story. 
you know and i think i think the you know the people on the opposite end you know that that's the issue that we have you know i mean when one side seems to have issues like that it seems like the media and everybody are, are like piranhas and when it happens on the other side it seems to go by the wayside you know whether it's cuomo or aoc or whoever and listen i get it we live in a you know in a state that probably leans a little bit left you know demo, you know politically and, and democratically and listen i understand that you know but you know, the hypocrisy lies in, well, you know, going back to the governor for a second, you know, it was okay last summer to allow people to riot and protest. Look, I have no problem with protest, you know, you know, no matter what the issue is, you have a right to do that in this country. What you don't have a right to do, in my opinion, well, not my opinion, it says in the Constitution, you don't have a right to harass people or destroy public property. Yeah, and that goes without saying, whether it's, you know, BLM or, you know, the, the capital insurrection, if that's what you want to call it. You know, those people had all of a right to, to show up to the Capitol and say, hey, look, you know what? We don't agree with the election results. We're questioning the validity of it. And they deserve the right to not be called, you know, all sorts of names or insurrectionists or whatever you want to call them. So much as the people on the other end, you know, the BLM people, you know, last summer, you know, they're not animals. They're not bad people. Mm. You know, those are people protesting, you know, probably legitimate stuff in some regards. On both sides, though, those people don't. You know, you don't have the right to break stuff. You don't right yeah. the right, right to harass people or harm people or assault people or, you know, storm a building or break shit. You know, that's just that's not right. And I just think that going back to the governor for a second, I think he's gotten kind of a pass. You know, um, when you look at the numbers, you know, we were talking about COVID last time. We talked about how it affected us. Yeah, you know, yeah. I look at the numbers. I'm a numbers guy. You know, when you look at New York's infection rate, and when you look at numbers, you know, as far as people that have passed from it, we still have amongst the highest amount of people that died in the country. And I think the most recent, you know, statistics that came out and, and information that came out suggest that almost 50 percent of those deaths came from those nursing homes, which, you know, we have a family friend that would, you know, played a little bit of part of it. She works for the governor's office. She's in the medical field. And um she was directed to put the people who were infected back into those homes, which was a decision, you know, directly as a result of the governor. Yeah. Didn't come from the president, didn't come from anywhere else, Congress or the Senate. It was his, it was his decision. And what she explained to me was that, you know, these people were put back into, you know, those facilities based on the fact that that was their registered residence, you know, and look, I understand where she was coming from, but I mean, common sense tells you if someone's sick and you're around a vulnerable part of the population, you know, it's not probably the smartest thing to put them back in there, no matter what their residence is. And, um, you know, again, you know, trolling back to the, the AOC, you know, uh, con uh, conversation we just had. Again, hypocrisy, you know, um, should he, you know, should he get prosecuted? Should he be, yeah. you know, should he be fined? Should he be thrown out of office? Personally, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think anything's going to really happen of it, you know, based on, you know, the current administration. But. You know, for those people who lost loved ones, you know, um, for the numbers that we have, I mean, it's really, you know, it just goes back to what we were saying. You know, it seems yeah. like, a, you know, a double standard. Yeah, it's, it's just gonna, it's just going to wind up in lawsuits by those family members and that's going to be it. Yeah, nothing will happen to them. I mean, and, and it's just like you say with like the administrations and just the way the tide shifted the last since the election. You know, you had New York and California, which were like lockdown central. And then once Biden won, you had both governors, New York, you had Newsom and you had Cuomo basically come out like within a week going, yeah, I think we should start lifting these bands now and like try and get back to some type of normalcy. Look, you know? and, and you want to yeah. you, you want to make it, you know, people want to make it out that it wasn't political. What is, you know, to anyone just watching it going out within a week, you change your mind on one of the most, you know, toughest decisions you probably had to make in your, your entire time in office. It was just yeah, like on a dime. You just changed. I don't know about you, but I was overly cautious with it. Me and my wife used to get arguments about wearing masks and stuff and how, how real the thing was to be, and to be honest with you, I always heard on the side of caution. You know, I didn't really listen to either side. I just figured that, you know, I'm risk adverse when it comes to stuff like that. And I figured, Hey, look, nobody really knows a lot about it. So, I mean, they're on the side of caution, but the way things went down, even from the beginning, it just, you know, even the most 
non-skeptical person would look at the decisions that were made, you know, by certain, you know, officials. And, you know, the president was involved too. You know, the governors were involved. They were all involved. And it just makes you think, all right, how much of is this, is this really legit? And how much is this really politicized? I mean, is it a case of do you stay in your house? Because, you know, if you get this thing, you're dead. Well, the infection rates and the death rates tell you, you probably got a good chance of surviving it like you and I, you know, unless you have underlying, you know, um, causes. Now, was that enough to shut down an entire country for over a year now or close to a year? I don't know. Maybe it was, you know, maybe if they didn't do that, you know, you'd be looking at quadruple, maybe five times the amount of deaths that we had in infections. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Then, you know, you go a couple of months and they're saying, well, look, you know, the masks stop stuff. Well, if masks stop the infection, we shouldn't have any more infections because it seems a lot of people are wearing them, especially in the states that we mentioned. Um, you know, in June, you're told, hey, look, you know, social distance, you know, uh, stay in your house. And in June, you know, you turn around and you see people protesting, no matter if it was a legitimate, you know, reason or not. You know, they're in the streets, hundreds of thousands of people in multiple cities. And now you, you're meant to believe that nobody got infected from those things, you know, I mean, or, you know, as far as the mail-in ballots and stuff that happened in the election, you know, regardless of whether you think the, the results of the election were, you know, legitimate or not, you know, the, the facts remain that states changed their entire way how they counted ballots and ballots were processed and sent in, you know, versus a normal, you know, in, in environment. Now you begin to wonder was, you know, if you're, if you're a skeptic or a conspiracy person, was it used to facilitate that in these states? You know, I looked at numbers and again, I, I respect whoever's president. I respect whoever's in office. You know, I'm not one of these type of people that's going to go and put on my social media, resist, we're not my president, or, you know, any sorts of, you know, not so whoever's president's president. However, that said, I do have questions. You know, I do, I, you know, I looked at those numbers and this isn't something that was like a, you know, Russian hoax conspiracy that was dismissed, you know, from the very beginning of the last guy's presidency. You know, these are numbers in four different states where if you look at it, there are anomalies that, you know, make you wonder, you know, hey, listen, how legitimate is this? You know, going back to what we're saying, again, it's the hypocrisy of it. So now you look at the disease and you're like, well, was this thing used as a means for mail-in ballots to be optimized, you know, for where people could live in Arizona and vote in New York, right? Because that's what happened in yeah. some of these states, four or five of these states specifically, or, you know, um, you know, as far as not matching your name to your address, you know, simple stuff, you know, voter ID, you know, was this exacerbated because the COVID, you know, they used it, you know, to their advantages, like in Pennsylvania, where they changed the laws in that specific state to allow how you voted. So, you know, it goes, it goes from, okay, I'm scared. You know, this is a legitimate thing. I want to stay home to now. Well, should I be scared? And, you know, if I, you know, if it's so dangerous, why are people being allowed to go in the streets and mass and protest? Why are people allowed to do certain things? Why are certain businesses allowed to open and others not? You know, the people on the right, you know, the really religious people, they've got a legitimate gripe. I mean, I just saw a Supreme Court, you know, um, uh, ruling today where they ruled in favor of the churches and the synagogues and stuff where you have these places open yet you can't go to church because, you know, it exceeds a certain number or you can't sing, you can't talk because allegedly, you know, you can get the virus, you know, very easily through transmission there. Mm -hmm. Yet you have these other businesses and places that are open. So it, again, the hypocrisy of it, you know, and the double stand of it, it makes you wonder, you know, how much of it was this politicized or how much was it used to control people? And I yeah, think it's, yeah, it's, it's like something that 25, 30 years from now, all those documents will come out, or there'll be some guy on his deathbed going, this is what really happened. Yeah. This is what we did. This is how we this is how we skewed it our way. This is how we uh, caused, you know, the, the whether it was voting, whether it was COVID. This is what we did to shut the country down to help us win. You know, and like I said, you'll hear it on some guy's deathbed or someone's deathbed one day. And, you know, we were speaking about this. My concern right now is when do you get back to normal and how do you get back to normal? You know, whether it's a you know, it's going back to sporting events and feeling comfortable or going around without wearing masks or certain businesses, how they operate. You know, I mean, what if Fauci said something? This could be like a, a seven year plan. Right. I read that today, too. You know, I mean, 
So, uh, you're gonna walk around for the next seven years with a mask and worry about you know catching yeah. this thing. I don't know. You're gonna worry about businesses not being able to open for seven years. Yeah, I mean you have. Yeah, I I mean it's true. You just just drive through Manhattan and see every uh, all these boarded up businesses, places that have been in business 20, 30, 40 years uh, are going out of business. You know, I look I look at that guy like Dave Portnoy. Like, thank God for a guy like him right now. Yeah, he's out there. You know, he raised something, I think, like 20 or 30 million dollars. And he's just handing out money to these small businesses just so they can stay afloat. You know, God bless him. Yeah. And listen, I mean, and you've got the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, as far as the medical community saying what they do. And they probably they probably have their reasoning and maybe they are on the side of cautious. And maybe hey, listen, maybe this is all legit. And, you know, all this, you know, conspiracy talk on the other side is completely bogus. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you the optics are what we're, we're talking about. You know, regular people see, and it's not just here. You know, I, you know, my job, I talk to people all over the country and you get the same thing, man, in the most liberal states in the most conservative states, you know, people are saying the same stuff, you know, they want to get back to normal people cautious. I've talked to people that, you know, I talked to a lady the other day, she said in the span of about a month and a half, she lost her 59 year old husband. She lost her, uh, 40-year-old son, 50-year-old daughter-in-law, you know, all in the span of a month due to COVID. So, I mean, it's legit. Yeah. I mean, we got it. So, I mean, it's, I, I'm not one to say, hey, look, it doesn't exist. But the opposite end of the spectrum on how the government, you know, implements lockdowns and how they, you know, you know, just go back, you know, in terms of governing regular day life is, it makes you wonder, you know, it makes you wonder how much is it truly, you know, a threat? How much is it politicized? And how do we get back to normal? You know, if you're going to get vaccinations, you know, to 125 million people by the end of the summer, if you had 30 million people that have already gotten it, you know, you're almost halfway, you know, as far as to herd immunity, right? Yeah. But, you know, yet you read something today, like, like you said, that this thing could go on seven years, you're going to be wearing masks, things won't be back to normal, you know, for a very long time, which is contrasting what he said just a couple of months ago, you know, I think that by the end of the summer, we'll be back to normal. So what is it? You know, is it, you know, is it seven years or is it eight months? And then eight months from, and eight months from now, is a different variant going to come out where we're going to all get it again and go back into lockdown? You know, makes you think. I, I think it's just a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we don't know about where I think there's a lot more research they're doing on this. And I think every time they do research on it, they come up with something new. Sure. And now they don't know what to do. They thought it was going this way. And then it goes that way. And now it's like, well, all right, we'll just keep them locked down for another month. Let us try and figure this out. Let us try and uh, try and combat this. Because now you're hearing just new strains keep coming about. Yeah, right. And, and, deadlier, and, deadlier and supposedly more contagious. Yeah. And then, you know, the thing that makes you makes me think about is like once you are back to normal, you know, I look at COVID almost as like the great disruptor, almost like how Uber was to the taxi industry. Yeah. And so Uber came around and all of a sudden, you know, DUI statistics dropped yeah you know to the point like maybe if they were around when you and i were kids you know in teenagers you know you'd have a fraction of the debts that you had now or the accidents that you have now right yeah true you know so i look at you know the after effects of like something like uber which i call disruptor you know i've heard it elsewhere you know labeled the same way and i look at covid you know covid's going to reshape how we live you know think about it you know how many people are utilizing food deliveries how many people are consuming entertainment differently than they did? How likely are you and me, you know, to go to a Met or a Yankee game, you know, come September, if everything's normal, yeah. even tomorrow, how, how likely are, you know, we talked about this. What, what are the, what are going to be the attendances as far as the Super Bowl? I, I looked up the Super Bowl. It fits 63,000. They're only allowing 22,000 people into the stadium. Okay. So a third basically of the stadium is going to be filled. I guess it's going to be like, I saw it too, like during some of the playoff games where it's like, you have a hundred people in one section, you move over, there's two sections over. There's another couple of hundred and they just got them, you know, socially distanced throughout the stadium. Think about that for a second. So, I mean, in terms of advertising dollars and player salaries, yeah. right. For a second, you know, you know, maybe we'll talk about sports, you know, later on in the show, but, you know, think about these teams ability to spend money on players, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, Coca-Cola, um, Budweiser aren't showing or doing commercials tomorrow 
because the numbers and the attendance and the viewship might be down. My wife and, you know, my wife and I were talking about having some people over tomorrow. And we realized that probably wasn't a good idea. And if we had anybody over, it might be just one couple. So all of a sudden, instead of going to the supermarket tomorrow and spending hundreds of dollars on probably the biggest non-secular, you know, secular event, you know, in the country. Now you're talking about maybe spending a fraction of that, you know, as far as supermarkets, you know, they get affected. And in turn, you know, down the road, when your team, you know, six months from now goes into free agency and is thinking about spending money on that big name wide receiver or quarterback, now all of a sudden they're thinking it because they don't have the revenues. You know, same thing in baseball, you know, um, or even the movie theaters, like we talked about, you know, the other day as well. You know, now all of a sudden you've got movie theaters because they don't have the business. They're finding out different ways that to get their product out there, you know, by releasing it through Netflix right away through these streaming services. So it makes you wonder, are movie theaters finished? I mean, six months from now, a year from now, when if we're back to normal, are you going to go to a movie theater or are you just going to wait for it to come out on Netflix and enjoy it on your big screen TV? I can almost see movie theaters almost becoming something like Broadway, where it's like one show a day. You know, yeah. we got a we got a five, a seven o'clock show. Come come at seven o'clock and watch Star Wars. And there's two shows on Saturday and two shows on Sunday. And everything else, like like we said, like a, a smaller movie, more independent films are just going to go right to those Netflix, Hulu, Amazon streaming services, you know? And, yeah. and, and I think people are getting used to just sitting. Uh, get, it's pretty comfortable just sitting in your house sometimes. I love you know, it. You know when I you can watch a first run movie from your couch instead of getting up, going out to the movies, you know, h- how much is a movie for a family of five? Or close to 200 bucks. Almost 200 bucks or, or yeah, a ball yeah. game for that matter. You know, yeah. would you rather watch, you know, the movie, you know, on your big 70 inch or 75 inch or 80 inch screen? Or would you rather go, you know, pay the 200 bucks between you and your kids and your wife and family, you know, get, you know, uh, popcorn and stuff. And <laughs> you're at 200 bucks, you know, I mean, versus maybe 10 bucks or going to the, you know, going to the ball game, you know, I, I went to my share of events throughout the years, some of the biggest, you know, events, you know, in sports. And now I'm beginning to think, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, to spend that kind of money. I mean, I can enjoy it in, in the comforts of my home. And going back to my Uber analogy, you know, I just think that's going to disrupt a lot of businesses, you know, as far as how they operate, you know, now I'm not going to name my employer over the, over this type of thing, but I can tell you that they were one of the companies that in the very beginning of this thing, you know, were in dire needs of trying to get us back into the office to sustain productivity. And, you know, they've got buildings throughout the country. They're a big company. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, they have a lot invested in the real estate, you know, and to utilize that real estate. But now I think they're figuring out that I can do the job at the house just as effectively. Yeah. And now you're thinking, okay, the businesses around there that rely on my employer, you know, like delis or restaurants, you know, when I go for lunch, you know, I'm going to a local deli in that area. So it's got a wide screaming, a wide, uh, a wide reach, this COVID. You know, yeah, it's, it's got a big ripple effect. Yeah, yeah. Big ripple effect. I was watching on YouTube yesterday. There's uh, one of the channels I watch. It's all about like real estate in New York City and how cheap the apartments have gotten. And, sure. and one of the big things this guy was talking about was now how like people are trying to look for two, a small two bedroom. Because right. one person is going to need an office to work out of. Right. They're going to need that office space. So you're seeing a lot of one bedrooms kind of like get chopped up. Someone just putting up a wall to make it a small two bedroom so these people can work in. And, you know, it doesn't matter anymore where you live. You know, That's right. you, you don't have to be close to the train. You don't have to be that 15 minute ride. You, you could be at the other end of Brooklyn now. And live in a nice, you know, in, in a small two bedroom apartment and just work from home sometimes three, four days a week. Maybe you go in, you know, three, four times a month to an office. And, and think about that for a second and think about the reshaping of populations. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've spoken to that lived in Manhattan or the boroughs that are leaving, you know, and they're leaving because they can do their jobs elsewhere, you know, with the companies that, you know, some of these companies that work for are getting. They're getting smart, I guess, and allowing people to kind of, you know, work remotely and figuring this is a viable long-term option. And for the guy living in Manhattan paying nosebleed, you know, prices for an apartment, or maybe someone's just not happy with, you know, the way the, the, the city's run or, you know, the state's run, 
you know, why not move to a different state? Better climate, better politics, you know, depending on whatever side of the spectrum you, you, you fly. You know, there's really no need, you know, like it was 50 years ago, you know, in terms of being close to the financial center or, I mean, I guess, you know, when it comes to California or certain, you know, se sectors of the, of the economy, like maybe the entertainment industry, maybe you need to be in California or but, certain but, parts, you know, to be an actor or whatever, but. But you even see those guys are all leaving like crazy. Yeah. I mean, Joe wrote, it seems uh, Austin's a new spot. Austin and a bunch of, uh, I think a bunch of other people have uh, moved on to like Nashville. Nashville's cool. I've been there. And I can tell you, I mean, look at even like some of the sports people years ago. I mean, think about LeBron for a second, right? You know, 10 years ago, he goes to Miami. All right, granted, you know, I think he got pitched by Riley. You know, Riley probably said to him, hey, look, come here. You're going to win a championship. I've got five rings with the Lakers, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I can't for a second not think that that guy figured that if I go to Miami, if I go to Florida, I'm paying no state income tax. Yeah, I'm going to get a 10% raise, you know, if I'm living in a state like New York. You know, or if I'm living in California now, all of a sudden, the 30 million that I make is maybe going to be taxed a little bit differently than, say, if I play for a team in Texas. You well, know, so. yeah, most. Well, when I worked at Yankee Stadium, most of those players, when you saw their cars in the in the lots, different different plates, it was almost the majority of them were Florida. Yeah, they all had that Florida. I, and I, there's some law where it's like, I think they have to put they call putting your head on the pillow. I think they have to put their head on the pillow in Florida. Something be, like, yeah, like 180 days out of the year or something like that. Right. Right. Um, right. That's why when, uh, <clears throat> when you watch Met games every now and then Keith Hernandez isn't around and they'll allude to it that, well, Keith is down in Florida for tax reasons. That's what they'll usually say. Makes sense. You know? And, you know, when, when you, now now you have something like COVID coming around and, you know, the regular Joe Schmo is thinking about that. You know, uh, I work for XYZ company. I'm working home. The company has no problem with me working home. You know, they're not giving me any stipulations. Okay. Why am I here? Do I have family here? Do I, do I have a need to be here? Do I enjoy it here? If, if the answers are no, you know, I mean, I think you'll see radically different. You know, if this thing... If Fauci's right, you know, on the latter part, and this thing goes for seven years, I think you'll see radicalized different demographics in terms of states in this country. Yeah, you're going to have places like North Dakota that have like 300,000 people, probably double, sure. the, double, their, double their population in a couple of years. Yeah, I would agree. It's just amazing to think about the ripple effect of this thing. You, yeah. know, we look, you know, we looked at it just last episode, basically from... You know, getting sick point of view, you know, as far as, you know, how, how you coped with it, how you did. And then you, you start thinking bigger picture and you're like, wow, this thing is it's a little bit more serious than just getting sick and being a pandemic, which is serious in itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, folks, I just want to put something out there right now. I want to thank you guys for listening. I was looking up a thing and it says that most people don't listen to the last five minutes of the podcast because that's when people do their plugs. So I'm going to do my plugs now. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram at the crack house podcast, tweet at me at crack house pod, uh, check out my buddy Jack at I can paint, uh, Paulie and the boys at SOF bad monkey. Chris, what do you got? DJ Chris clash. I got DJ Chris clash for all your entertainment needs uh, audience. You know, if you need a party, you know, COVID or non COVID, I'm there for you. Arranging hey, weddings, bar mitzvahs, baptisms, private parties, you name it. I'm there. He's the and by the way, yeah. your audience, Mike, if if COVID subsides by August, I have a booze cruise coming out, which you guys are all invited to It'll be booze, food, me DJing, live entertainment, trying to put together a band. It'll be a great time. I'm hoping to open by then. It'll be like a post COVID party where people, you know, are, are celebrating, you know, normal life again. So just uh, keep it. All right, cool. That'll be awesome. So I'll keep uh, we'll keep everyone advised of that. And uh, we'll switch gears a little bit now. I think we got way too, way too political the first half of the show. Let's talk <laughs> back a little. Uh, Sorry, folks. We, we were talking about uh, the man that we were going to talk about the Mandalorian tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you finished the whole season. I did. I did. I thought it was I thought it was re uh, really good. I, I love the way they brought in, you know, if, uh, spoiler alert, Boba Fett's in it. So. I thought he was great. I thought it was great bringing that character back. 
I think it gave the show a nice little shot in the arm this season. So I binge watched it, I guess, like most people. And, you know, like you and you, I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars fan. And I grew up with it. I wasn't too happy with the trilogy, the, the, the most recent trilogy. I thought that they, you know, just seemed lackluster to me. You know, I mean, it had, it had its moments. You know, it was nice to see some of the old characters, but it seemed drawn out. The second one, the set, that middle that middle movie was, in my opinion, probably the worst Star Wars movie that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Even eclipsing like you know anything from the first trilogy, uh, the second trilogy in '99. Yeah. You know, so when I saw the Mandalorian, it was it was good. You know, um, it was hard to get through like the first couple episodes, almost like Breaking Bad. You know, it just like it kind of had a build up. Yeah, you know where you're wondering where they were really going with it. And it got cool, you know, you had Baby Yoda, a couple other, you know, characters that were reintroduced. And then I'd read stories on how they were trying to bring back other characters throughout, you know, the Star Wars universe, like I guess in future films and stuff like uh, they were talking about how Darth Maul survived the first Phantom Menace and how they were going to reintroduce him at some point. And then you kind of saw it like in, um, in, the, in, in the most recent trilogy where they brought back the Emperor, spoiler, right? Yeah. You know, all of a sudden he didn't really die. He got cloned. And, you know, now all of a sudden you talk about Boba Fett, you know, Boba Fett died and, mm. you know, we thought he died in Return of the Jedi. And now you're wondering how the hell did he get out of there? Right. Yeah. It's, it, you know, the, we you, you think as kids, we watched him die in like 1983. That yeah. was it. And then when you see that the armor come out and then you see his face, you're like, holy shit. What the how did he do this? And I, I mean, I, I thought it was very good. You know, the, the Lucas films, he always does this, which kind of like he's always got to put that little spin on it for like little kids, like Baby Yoda. Right. It's it's that Ewok character, that Jar Jar Binks shit. He always does. Like he could have made this thing a crystal and it would have been it, it would have been a lot more like tougher. And, you know, I think he could have done a lot more action with it, but. You know, Listen, it, I can tell you this. My wife isn't a big Star Wars fan. She hates it, to be honest. She, she laughs at me every time I watch it. And I watch it religiously. Anytime it comes on regular TV or whatever, she's always got some snide remark to say. When I showed her Baby Yoda, she was enamored with it. Like, like, I need that. Like, I, I need like, a yeah. little you know, it was really ingenious because I think it reached out to like a whole broader spectrum of people that even if you. Always, Star Wars, yeah, he always does. He know? finds that one thing he like. It's like putting the hook in. It's putting the needle into new addicts. You know? we, have a, we have a mutual friend. Uh, his name is Chris. I'm not going to mention his last name, obviously, on the show. But, you know, he had put something on social media talking about it. And um, I agree with him uh, a thousand percent. I think the best singular moment for me outside the first trilogy was the end of The Mandalorian, third season, you know, with uh, spoiler, oh, yeah. the spoiler. Luke, you know, showing up and you know, having like a Darth Vader Rogue One type moment. They uh, they said no one knew about it. So like, cool, bro. Everyone that worked on the, the show, there was pretty much only like two or three people that knew that was going to be the scene. And it was. It was badass. And, you know, like I, father, like son. I'll leave it at that. You know? Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, great, man. And, you know, going back to Rogue One, which is probably my favorite movie yeah. outside maybe of the Empire. Yeah. Um, there was somebody I work with who was a uh, very high up in, in the company that I work with. And he, he comes to me one day after watching rogue one and he goes, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but at the end of the movie, there's a, there's a cameo by somebody. And he goes, the whole scene reminded me of you on a bad day. And I said, <laughs> I go, thank you. I guess Until I watched it. And I'm like, what does this guy think of me? I mean, <laughs> you know? And, uh, the reason I bring it up is besides the, the moment at, at the end of Mandalorian, that that scene at the end of Rogue One. Yeah, oh, me, that, unbelievable. Just it, it was unbelievable, man. Like to me, it made the movie. You know, I mean, I remember watching, I think, The Empire Strikes Back with you in the theaters the first time around. And other than maybe some moments in, in The Empire or maybe like uh, the end of the first one, you know, the original Star yeah. Wars, I think those two moments, bar none's, a standalone moments rank right up there with anything in the Star Wars universe. And what's so great about it now is, I mean, it's not great. Disney owns it because they're going to do whatever they want. And they, they're definitely going to gear it towards smaller kids. I can say yes yeah, with the absolutely. baby. Yoda. But what they can do now with the stories, like I, I was just spitballing this the other day. 
You know what would be a great series on there? A show with all those ba- the bounty hunters from sure. Empire Strikes Back. You only see them like right. Boba Fett and that whole crew. Make a show about those guys. Just like rogues of the galaxy or whatever you want to call it. I think you might be onto something because I thought I read something to the to something to that effect that they were potentially, you know, spitballing as far as making another series. I know there's a couple of ones in the pipeline, including the Obi-Wan series. Yes. Um, but uh, you're right. They can go a million different directions with it. Oh, who is uh, Rosario Dawson's character? She's yes. getting one. There's going to be the Boba Fett uh, show. Uh, right. Chronicles or whatever the book of Boba Fett, whatever they were calling it. Uh, he's going to have his own series coming out, I think, next year. And th- like you said, they, they can take it in any direction they want. Uh, I don't think they're going to make. I wonder if they're going to do more theatrical movies or it's just going to be like more Disney shows, because I think the Disney shows are, are better. You can you can you can draw the story out. You can you, you can pretty much do whatever you want with it. You know, take it in any direction you want. You have and and you don't have and you're not confined to an hour and a half movie, an hour, a two hour movie. You can really tell the story. I think you hit it on the head. I also think that it depends on how much money they can make. Right. You know, so those movies are guaranteed blockbusters. You put the Star Wars name on it. Yeah. You're instantly making two, three hundred million, even if it's a piece of crap. Right. The only, th- the only one that I think didn't do well in the theaters, and it was probably the one movie that the one Star Wars movie I, I didn't go to see in the theater was the Han Solo movie. And it just goes to show you that yeah. when you don't have the Skywalkers involved, when you don't have like that. I guess that Star Wars main, you know, theme involved, it's not so much of a home run. And I think that, you know, with the television versus the movie, they don't have to worry so much about that box office the way that they do, you know, in the movies. Yeah. In the sense that I think they have a lot of creative freedom. And, you know, for the reason, it looks like, you know, they have different directors too that I think did, you know, those movies like J.J. Abrams did mm-hmm. one. And then I think the middle one was directed by somebody else. And then they went back. I think back. Joss Whedon did one. Yeah. Right. And you yeah, could they- tell, you can, you could tell the style of directing, you know, definitively effective it where it seemed like those first three movies, there was some sort of congruity with, you know, George Lucas behind it. And then even the second sequels, you know, you may not have liked those sequels, but there was rhyme to it. There was reason to it. There yeah. was a fluid fluidity that, you know, this last sequel, batch of sequels didn't have. And I think when it comes to the uh, the TV series, I think you get that back because it seems like it's the same director and producer. I I think John Favreau. Um, yeah, John Favreau pretty much did all of it. He did them. He didn't do them all, but. And he, he's phenomenal. Yeah. He ran the whole show behind the scenes. He was the producer of it. Right. And you could tell definitely the guy's a huge fan of it. Right. That's that's what it is now. It seems like the people that are going to be directing these of people that grew up on these movies. So, it, you know, the ones that came out in the 70s, you know, Lucas directed one. Erwin uh, Kirshner, I think, directed like Empire. You know, th- these guys weren't fans of the movies. These were right. just hired gun directors for the other two. And uh, now you're going to have the fans basically doing the movies. And I think, to be honest with you, Mike, I think you have to have, you know, when, you, when you're advertising a Star Wars movie or a Star Trek movie or any of these series, there has to be some sort of, homage to the audience there has to be you know you can have your take on these movies but in my opinion you gotta you gotta be have some sort of semblance towards the original as far as you know the intent of it the the direction of it you can't go off you know completely half cocked like even the star trek the new star trek like i enjoyed it i enjoyed the characters because they reminded me of the people that we watched as a kid but you know some of the storylines that they had i like jg abrams a lot but it just seemed like it was like so far off kilter you know it just um kind of threw me off a little bit and i got that impression with the trilogy and i didn't get that impression with the mandalorian in the sense that you know whether these people are fans it just seems sort of some sort of consistency yeah with it's storylines yeah it like stuck to the original canon right, which I think right. That people really liked yeah like you said yeah those the star trek movies weren't bad but it's you know what it was too with the start there were no old characters they really threw in. it wasn't like Shatner did a cameo. I think Nimoy might have did one cameo in one of them. But other than that, like the the, the cast wasn't around. They just recasted everything. Right. You know, the one guy that played uh, McCoy just almost did like a bad McCoy impersonation throughout the movie. Right. Right. You know, 
or even Khan, you know, to me, Khan yeah. is Ricardo Montalban, right? And then all of a sudden you've got some English actor. Yeah, you know? yeah. Cumberland's good, but I mean, to me, it threw me off. I mean, that's not Khan. You know, Khan is some long-haired, muscle-bound guy in his 60s. With a Latin know, accent. With a Latin accent who's yeah. suave, right? Yeah. You know? You know, and I think that going back to The Mandalorian for a second, I think that's kind of really what drew me in. And I think a lot of people in the sense that you had that consistency, that throwback. You know, all of a sudden you bring Boba Fett back. You know, he died in the first one. or Allegedly he died. And now yeah. this guy, he's got his armor. We're going back to the end of like Rogue One, right? Really without, you know, spoiler alert. You know, mm -hmm. Darth Vader shows up and it shows you how the introduction, you know, how it bridged, how they got. Yeah, the how it goes there. right into a new hope is sick. Yeah, it was it was it was, it was ingenious, you know, yeah. and I think, you know, the, the thing with the Boba Fett and how they brought him back, it showed you the continuity. It showed you different elements, but, you know, I, I thought it was very well done. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the Obi-Wan series. I'm, I'm hoping that it's somewhat like that. And um, yeah, I think Ewan McGregor is coming back for yeah. it too, right? He's going to star in it. Right. I think I, I think that'll be a great series. And I read somewhere, I think that the um, uh, Hans Christensen, I think he's going to be part of it too on some level. I don't know how they're going to tie him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They said that, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of like old stuff coming back, I was I, I thought about this. I said, we we got to talk about this. Coming to America 2 is coming out next month. Not interested. No? I'm not interested, man. You know, and the reason I'm not interested is, is my theory is this. I love Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is one of my favorite comedians of all time, favorite actors. But he's almost to me like pre-1982 Al Pacino and post-1982, <laughs> you know, Al Pacino. Everything that Pacino did up until 1982 in Scarface, I think if you look back, it's just like classic stuff, whether it's The Godfather, Scarface. And then I read this somewhere and I'm plagiarizing it, but it seems like Every character that that guy did post 1982 was like the same guy in different iterations. You know, you know, every every given Sunday, um, uh, scent of a gentleman or whatever it is where mm. he plays the blind guy. Right. You know, with um, the kid from the Batman and Robin show. Oh, Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. Scent yeah. of a woman. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's scent of a woman. Right. So it seemed like he was just like the same character screaming and yelling. A and lot of yelling. Right. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to coming to America, you know, for for me, the analogy that I make is like Eddie Murphy pre-1985 is completely different than post-Eddie Murphy 1985. I think we talked about this, too. Like the shit that that guy said pre-1985, he can't do today. You know, some of those jokes yeah. that they did in coming to America, we talked about that. Yeah. It's not going to fly. So yeah. I'm I'm anticipating that movie being a watered down version of those characters. Well, it, it definitely I don't know. Did you see the trailer yet? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's definitely already got like the uh, it's got the girl power feel to it. Right. Like, why can't a girl be the the queen of Zamunda? Right. Like from what it, from what from what it says in the from what you see in the trailer is Eddie Murphy has like three daughters. OK. And the one daughter looks like, you know, the oldest would be the queen. To take over, but he wants a prince and it looks like he had an affair when he was in America back in the 80s and he has a son there and they find the son and he's bringing the son back to be the king and it looks like well why can't there be both kind of or why can't the girl just rule by herself but uh, the, the cast looks funny Wesley Snipes looks hilarious in this as like the one of those like African warlord dudes he's got the, the cornrows going he's shooting gun. he looks he looks like he's going to be funny Tracy Morgan's in it he's always funny like you said, is the story going to be completely like a woke coming to America now that that will only say, look, I'll probably check it out because it's Eddie yeah, Murphy yeah. And, it, and it looks interesting. But I mean, what made the first movie for me now? And again, I think that movie and I think him, I think he transcended everything in terms of race, you know, religion, everything. He just, you know, that whole first movie wasn't about him being an African dude. It was about the immigrant experience and how. Mm -hmm how you can poke fun at everything, you know, you know, we're, you know, we're products of immigrants. Yes, right. Yeah. And there was funny shit. There's funny shit in our cultures and there's funny shit in his culture that he poked fun at. You know, I got friends who are African-American, you know, different cultures and we laugh about it all the time. There was a point in time at my, my, my job, you know, when we were in the office, I would scream to the Haitian guys at work, my son works, mm. you know, and, you know, immediately <laughs> they would hysterically laugh because they understood what I was doing, you know, that, you know, the King of Zamundo was, <laughs> amazed that his son was working at yeah. the towels, you know? And I don't think, I don't think it, 
I, I don't think in this time period, I think that people are overly sensitive that I think that some of the stuff that they poked fun at or that he did, you know, going back to like the Al Pacino okay. prior 1982, yeah. I just don't think they can implement again in the same level. I mean, I think it'll be decent. You know, I think you'll get a couple laughs mm-hmm. out of it, but um, you know, I just, I get the impression that it's probably going to be a little bit, you know, towards, you know, more of a PC watered down version. Yeah. By, by the way, R.I.P. McDowell's it got ripped down about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the McDowell's, for people that don't know, the McDowell's was actually a Wendy's on Queens Boulevard and Grand <laughs> Avenue. And it was there for years. And you, when you went into the Wendy's, in the back of the Wendy's where the bathrooms were, they had pictures up of like Louis, Louis Anderson, John Amos, Eddie Murphy, and Arsenio Hall. That's where they filmed the movie. And it got, yeah, I want to say it got torn down about 10 years ago and I think it's like apartment buildings now. Look, I'll probably I'll probably tune it in just for the fact oh, that I'm, I'm, gonna I'm an Eddie fan. But like, you know, I look back at some of these movies and I talk about it with some of my friends, like some of the shit that you heard on those movies and we laughed about it right, wrong or indifferent. You just can't pull off these days. Like, I don't think you could do the original Blues Brothers today. I don't think that you could do like um, Animal House for that matter. Right. You know, some of the stuff that was done in Animal House definitely wouldn't fly today. I, I think the, the Blues Brothers, I think people would come out of the woodwork saying it's like cultural appropriation. Right. I think, you, I you think know, they, they, they have all up. sorts of shit against that movie. I think that, you know, look at the original Bad News Bears. I mean, if you look at oh. some of the dialogue in that movie, I mean, there's no way. I, I mean, just heard, I just heard guys talking on a podcast about this the other day, how that right. movie that movie was rated, I think, PG. There's and no the way. language in that no movie way. was. And listen, it just shows you the difference in times. You know, back then there was nothing yeah. wrong with it. Now it's like, I can tell you that the actors involved would be blacklisted. The yeah. directors would be finished. They'd be labeled. It just, um, it's amazing, you know, what, you know, what time does to, you know, you know, thought, you know, I, I remember watching Breaking Bad, like, you know, he, he broke it down for somebody. He was talking about prohibition in the 1930s and the guy was talking about meth and how meth is bad and drugs is bad. And he goes, is it really, or is it, are you just on the wrong side of time? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, in 1929, alcohol was illegal. If you took a drink, you're in jail, right? If you sold it, you're finished. 1931, you're good. He goes, so right now you, you can't smoke weed, right? But maybe 10 years from now, there's no big deal about it. You know, 15 years ago, if you got caught, you're in law enforcement, ex-law enforcement. Mm-hmm. What happens to me if I get caught with 15, you know, bricks mm-hmm. of weed on me? What happens to me? Yeah. You know, I'm fucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sent away for the next 20 plus yeah. years, right? 10 years from now, Who maybe knows? the government finds a way of taxing it and it's completely fine. You want to sell it? No problem. So... You know, going back to the movies for a second and, you know, coming to America, I just think that, you know, I think the things that made that movie, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to replicate or do the same way. Yeah, I think it'd be good for some laughs, but, you know. Well, I mean, every everything now has to be they they have to politically correct the movie. They have to make sure right. that no one can get offended. No one, you know, uh, I mean, I watched uh, an interview one time with Mel Brooks and he was talking about Blazing Saddles. Now, one of the most unpolitically correct movies ever sure. made. And he sat down and they had he screened the movie for all the executives at Warner Brothers. And they freaked out. They were like, you got to get rid of it. Like, you can't say the N word every other. You know, get rid of that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. The farting scene. When they're all just sitting around, he's like, you got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of all the anti-Semitic stuff. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of that. And he goes, I wrote it down. And he goes, I basically threw it in the garbage afterwards. And I just released the movie the way I wanted to. Sure. And it became a hit. But today, this movie, that movie would never get made. You know, I, I'm a fan of your podcast. You know, you, you know, um, I've watched a lot of your episodes. You have a lot of comedians. And to be honest with you. You know, I know there are certain comedians out there that, you know, lament this all the time. It's like, you know, I think people in this in today's day and age are overly sensitive, whether it be politically, religiously, racially. Look, we all know what common decency is, right? You know, you all know not to do stuff or make people uncomfortable, right? You know, or, you know, discriminate against people. It is common, you know, knowledge. And, you know, there are assholes out there. There are people that are going to do that regardless. But, uh, you know, limit somebody's expression, you know, and find fault in everything that they do or say, or, you know, regardless of what end of the spectrum that you come, I just think that, 
you're going down a bad road, you know, and for me to make that comment to you, I would love to see, you know, at face value, I would absolutely run to see coming to America. I go into the movie theaters like yesterday, but my thought process is it's not going to be the same. It's going to be watered down. And that guy is not going to be able to, you know, make the jokes and say the things that he did 30 years ago. That made me laugh. Yeah. That's he's also supposed to do a standup special for Netflix. And think about that for a second. Think exactly. about, yeah. Think, about, think about delirious and raw. Raw, Right. And now you're doing a 35 year jump. He's, you know. Right. Or Chappelle for even. Yeah. You know, Chappelle. 15, what, what 15 he, years ago. You know, he's another guy that, you know, I think that some of the stuff and I think he said it himself, like he didn't want to do, you know, he didn't want to continue with the show because he felt people were no longer laughing with him, but they were laughing at him. And he was like <laughs> propagating racism. And um, I looked at the show and maybe I come from the other end. I've had this conversation with my friends, you know, who are African-American. And look, I get their point. You know, I get his point, too. But I think some of the stuff that he did 15, 20 years ago. No way. No way today. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, when you look at some of these shows and think about what made them successful, I think to take that element away sometimes, you know, for some people, it's going to eliminate the, the the wow factor, the it factor, the, you know, the need to see it. So. Be interesting. I'll probably check it out. I mean, my initial reaction was no, but you know, talking to you, I'll probably check it out. It seems, you know, pretty interesting. And yeah, like just Ed- for the history of it, you got to check it out. You know, and Eddie Murphy like if the old characters, right. like all the old characters are popping up in it. So, and, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Knicks fan. You know, I don't subscribe to LeBron's the greatest. To me, Michael Jordan's the greatest. And for me, in comedy, you know, you could talk about Richard Pryor, you could talk about Cosby, you could talk about any of these guys. To me. Eddie Murphy's Michael Jordan, you yeah. know, it just without fail for me, he'll, you will never get another comedian, Chris Rock, you know, Tracy Morgan, any of these guys, they will never touch yeah. it. The, the run he had in the eighties was like unparalleled. And I don't think you, you, you even Kevin Hart hasn't sustained he's it. Fine. I mean, he's, he's fine. sure. His success is through the roof, but some of his movies haven't sustained the way, the way Eddie had that run of the early eighties. You know, I mean, when we talk about greatness. Right. And that's really what it was. I mean, you talk about Michael Jackson. Right. In, in music, you know, for about a five, 10 year, yeah. everything that the guy did was like gold. You talk about Joe Montana for about eight, nine years. Yeah. Right. You talk about Jordan for six, seven years. You talk yeah. about Tyson. Right. For three or four. Yeah. Right. You talk about George, um, Eddie Murphy. Think about that from like trading places to like, you know, Beverly Hills in America. You know, that run to me is like unparalleled in the industry, you know, as far as from a you know comedic standpoint. I mean, I mean, let's think about it. Has there ever been a com- comedic actor that had a run like that in that amount of movies? You know, think about it. Adam, I mean, Adam Sandler. On that level? Six. He said his movies have made like six billion dollars. So, think about it, Mike. Again, adjusted for. And again, I'm not doubting what you're saying, but. I know what you're, I know what you're, like Eddie, top, right? Eddie Murphy was, yeah, Eddie Murphy was where you turned your head. He was everywhere. He was everywhere, man. So, and, and, and again, unlike Sandler, I think he was the type of guy that like Jordan did, like Ali did, Muhammad Ali, they transcended race. You know, they, they, they pushed forward America in so many different ways that Sandler never could have possibly yeah. managed, you know, and when you talk about greatness, you know, from an enta- entertainment standpoint, I, I, I don't think you'll ever see anything like that again, you know? No, probably. Oh, who knows? Maybe you will. Uh, who knows? Right. On that note, folks, we're going to wrap this puppy up. Chris, you got anything else you want to add before we sign off? Yeah, we'll see how the Super Bowl goes tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Casey's going to win. It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Steph, will going to be interesting with this COVID, man. I mean, we talked a lot about it, you know. I apologize to any of your audience that, you know, take offense at any anything I said, you know, in terms of like politics, you know, it's not my means, to, you know, or, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. I just think that when it comes to this thing, you know, there's a whole nother aspect of it, you know, that makes you think, you know, it's just it goes from being a virus, you know, and, you know, am I going to get sick or a loved one's going to die? And you, know, you think about, a you know, a, a bigger picture in terms of, you know, is this being used to control me? You know, is this used to, you know, control my thought process, the way I live? And not just me in particular, I'm just, you know, saying in society in general. So, you know, interesting stuff, Mike. You know, I, I enjoy talking to you. I mean, for the audience, again, me and Mike grew up together. You know, he said it to you last episode, but, 
you know, we we haven't been overly close, but I mentioned to Mike, you know, Mike is one of the people in my life that I cannot see for 10 years or speak to, you know, five years, whatever. And it's like, I'm 12 years old again. And everything that I say, we're on the same page. You know, he's one of those people that, um, you know, it's a compliment to you, you, Mike, you're, you know, you're a great person in terms of like being able to relate to people and just not miss a step. And, uh, you know, I hope this thing really grows for, for you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. And, uh, same here, Chris. You know, we like I said, we've known each other since we were like seven years old. So no. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. Last couple of weeks have been a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, folks. Like I said, like, subscribe. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And oh yeah, R.I.P. Screech. Screech, man. We didn't even talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about him next week because I right. got a little bit on him. Take care, everybody.